<clears throat> so Larry and Elmer, they went out hunting, and uh, <clears throat> they didn't find anything. About midday, they realized they were hopelessly lost. They didn't know where they were. Elmer uh, started getting kind of frantic, kind of worried. And Larry said, don't worry, I, my neighbor told me what to do if you ever found yourself out in the woods and got lost. <clears throat> you need to, to just shoot three times into the air and then just sit down and wait, and someone will come to rescue you. And so Elmer, that sounded good to him. They shot three times in the air, and then they waited. A couple hours later, they shot three more times into the air and waited. And no one came. It was almost dark. And Elmer was starting to panic now. He says, uh, it better work this time. I've only got three more arrows. <laughs> you know, in the first service, the same thing happened here. It's like some people got it right away. Others were like, I'm just getting settled from singing. And others like, you, we automatically think that when they shot, it was three gunshots, which would draw help and rescue but no, you see, it's an illustration of how often we can believe in advice, how often we can believe in uh, help and comfort uh, when we're in times of trouble, and how oftentimes that advice, those promises don't tend to come true and help us, and instead of becoming more hopeful, we become hopeless. Life happens. To the Christian and the non-Christian. And we have all kinds of people who will give us advice on how to deal with life. And oftentimes, the advice we respond to, the advice we try to follow, instead of helping us become more hopeful, it helps us become hopeless. You see, it's important for us to think about the foundation for our lives when we think about the troubled times that may come. Some of you today are in that time of trouble right now. And you know what I'm talking about. I want all of us to think today about if there were a, a meter, if there were a gauge of where at the bottom was E, standing for empty, and at the top was F, standing for full, if there were a meter to gauge our level of hope, where would we find ourselves? A quarter full? Half full? Three quarters full? And how can we turn that around? How can we have our tanks be full? Especially if we're dealing with something tough right now. But even more, to prepare for what may come, the tests and the trials. Because Christians are not immune. You know, as we talk about in this series, The Transformed Life, I think you can clearly see that there's some people that in spite of, of tremendous difficulty continue to hope, continue to be optimistic because they understand the hope that's talked about in the Bible. You see, the hope that's talked about in the Bible is not just a feeling. The hope that's talked about in the scriptures is not based on our conditions. It's not subjective. It's objective. And God wants to place within us a hope, a hope that we can build our lives on, a hope that can sustain us in good times and bad, a hope that can make our life more fulfilling, our life 
more useful, our life more productive. He wants to give us that kind of hope. In Hebrews chapter 6, we read these words beginning with verse 17. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. Now in this case in Hebrews 6, he's talking to Abraham, but, but by extension he's talking to all of us. God wants to take all of us from our sinful state, which is divided from God. He wants to bring us back into fellowship. God wants to make us all heirs. He wants to, to pass down an inheritance of eternal life to us. He wants to have fellowship with us. He wants us to be his sons and daughters. That's what he's talking about. Very clear to the heirs of what promise. He confirmed it with an oath. So he promised it, and then he uh, made a vow. Then he said, I swear that this will happen. God did this so by two unchangeable things, the promise and the oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have what? This hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. This is not a hope that is subjective, a, a hope that is a feeling. No, it is based in the promise, the oath of God. And even more, it talks about the overarching uh, thread of redemption that lies throughout the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New, that God would provide a means for us to come back into fellowship with him, Jesus Christ. Uh, this is the hope we have when we build our hope in Jesus and not the advice from those outside, those in the world. Instead, we build our hope in our faith. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. That is, this hope breaks down the wall between us and God. This hope brings us close to God. He has become, Jesus, a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. See, that's a different kind of hope than the world often talks about. That's a hope that can fill us up. That's a hope that can sustain us when times are tough. And so we come to our passage today in Romans. Remember talking about the transformed life. How can we be more hopeful? You see, I think a clear sign of a person who has a strong walk with Christ is their level of hope, is the degree to which they're full of this hope, the hope of faith. So this passage, I think, has a, three things to teach us. First, it tells us we, we develop hope by endurance. You, you, you've heard me talk for a few minutes. You say, yeah, yeah, I want that kind of hope. How do, how do I get it? This passage tells us we develop hope by endurance. Verse 4, for everything that was written in the past uh, in the Bible was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Endurance is this first term, we develop hope through endurance. Now, if you were God, you might have done this differently. You know, probably you've been like me and thought, oh, why doesn't God just uh, immediately fulfill his promises? Why doesn't God just immediately share his blessings with me as I re respond to him, as I come to him in faith, right? We see cause and effect, and we want there to be no lag if we're 
trying to live for God, if we're trying to be pleasing to God, we want to see right away a, a response. But it doesn't happen that way, does it? Not at all. In fact, Christians have to wait sometimes for years, sometimes for decades, to see God's response to their faithfulness. We are in this human condition. Why does God make us wait? You see, this passage says we develop that hope through endurance. I think for two reasons, really. One, that God, I think, wants us to appreciate the blessings even more. If he gave them to us right away, we wouldn't appreciate them. It's kind of like when you're raising teenagers. If you give them everything without having them to work for it, without having them to grow to the point where they're ready for it, they, they just take it for granted, right? And we're the same way. If all the blessings came to us right away, we would take them for granted. There's a great illustration of this in Genesis. You see, this story that we're talking about today, the development of hope, the learning of hope, the, the examples, the exhibiting of our hope, it all is through Scripture over and over in the lives of people. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So it's a promise from God. Now, you might expect, now the Lord God made a woman. <laughs> no, that's not what it says. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Can you imagine? You're Adam, and you have got this great promise. No longer do you have to be by yourself, the only person, the only human. But I'm going to make you a companion. I'm going to make somebody that, that fits you, that compliments you. But wait, there's this parade of all the animals. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. How many animals are there, different types in the world? I can't count that high. You can't either. He brings all of them before Adam, and he has to give them all their names. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed it up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now mowed of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Do you think that Adam appreciated Eve more or less because of the delay, the wait? You see, you see over and over this pattern in Scripture. God makes a promise to his people, and then there's a period of, of waiting. There's a time interlude, and oftentimes the people get discouraged. Their vision or their dream even dies. Uh, they get discouraged and, and disheartened, and then God, in due time, fulfills that promise. God, in due time, brings that blessing to bear. He brings it into fruition. I can say to you today it often seems in our life when we're going through struggles, when we're going through trials, as if God is not paying attention, as God is not listening. But I tell you, over and over we see in Scripture that enduring, trusting God even when we can't see Him, trusting God even when we can't hear Him, that in that process, 
some good things are happening. You see, first, we appreciate the blessings after having to wait. I think also the reason God waits is because we need to be purified. We need to be strengthened. There's a process that goes on in that enduring, in that waiting, in that trusting that is very positive for us, that's very much a, a, a necessary building in us. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 is one of my favorite passages of all of Scripture. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that is, since we have a relationship with God, not by our works, but by trusting in Him, by confessing our sin, by trusting in Him and His Son Jesus as Lord and Savior, because we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which you now stand. And here's the good stuff. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, the trials, the troubles, the tests that we're going through. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. <laughs> you see, it's through that process that God brings about. He develops within us this hope that never fails. He develops within us this anchor that holds uh, through the stormy seas of life. We develop hope by endurance. This passage also tells us is that we learn hope through the encouragement of Scripture. We learn hope through the encouragement of Scripture. I think we learn both in the Word and we learn from the Word. What do I mean by in the Word? Notice in Psalm 19, well first let's look at verse 4 again because it tells us this directly. And then we're going to look at, at Psalm 119 a little bit. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. It's very important for us to become students of the word. Very important for us to know God's word. Now, I mean both know his written word and know his living word. His living word is Jesus. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in all the Bible it is a, it's a recurring theme, this hope we can find in God's Word. Uh, verse 74, for example. I just have a, a few examples, but if you read through Psalm 119 this week, you'll see this, this recurring theme over and over. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your Word. Down to verse 81. My soul faints with longing for your salvation. That is, I'm ready to be in heaven right now. I'm ready to have the blessing right now, but I put my hope anywhere. No, it hasn't happened yet. I, I hope in your written word. I hope in your living word. And then 114, you are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. We learn hope through the word, but we also learn about hope from the word. What do I mean by that? As I told you, there's this pattern over and over you see in Scripture of promise, delay, which often leads to discouragement or disheartenment, and then fulfillment. You see that pattern over and over in Scripture. It's important for us to understand that 
the Bible says of itself, it is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It is not dull and dry. Maybe it is the way some people have brought it to you, but I tell you, if you will give your attention to the Word, it will come to life. It will come to bear in your life today, which is quite amazing, quite miraculous, that uh, a book compiled over two centuries ago, uh, that that book still speaks to where we are today. But he does. He does. And he shows us in the real lives of real people this example over and over. For example, in Genesis, we read about Abram and his wife Sarai. He says to Abram, a promise that you too will have a son one day. And through this son, his descendants, the people of God, will be more numerous than the stars in the sky, more numerous than the grains of sand on the seashore. And Abram and Sarai wait and wait. Now, they didn't have those little tests then which shows the positive or the negative sign. But month after month, pregnant, she did not be. Until she's 90. And Abram's 100. Promise, discouragement, and then Isaac, fulfillment of the promise. Joseph. Joseph's told he will be a great man. He's favored by God, but, but then he's abandoned by his brothers out of jealousy. Sell him to a, a traitor. A traitor who then takes him to Egypt and, and into the service of Potiphar. Promise, discouragement. But then Joseph grows to become the savior, not only of Egypt, but of Israel, of his brothers and his, his, brothers and his father, and all of those people. Fulfillment. Hmm. David. David told that he one day will be the king of Israel. Out of the line of David, the prophecies, the prophecies went, there will come the eternal kingdom. Yet, out of the highs of David with God's help slaying Goliath, the giant Philistine, out of those highs comes David for years on the run for his life. Promise discouragement, disheartenment, and then he becomes the king, the greatest king that Israel ever knew until Jesus, the figurative king of the people of God. And Jesus himself, Jesus who comes down out of heaven and has these glorious experiences of of helping people who all the people want to see and want to praise, all the people lift him up. That is, until popular opinion turns against him. And instead of wanting Jesus, they say, give us Barabbas, who was a lowlife instead. The people abandon him, and Jesus is crucified on the cross. Promise discouragement, disheartenment, and three days later, fulfillment, eternal life, God defeating death. You see, that pattern is over and over. And I'm telling you, you may be in that valley today of discouragement and disheartenment. 
You've heard God, God's promises. He tells us, I will never leave or forsake you. I will always be with you if you have faith. He tells us that God works all things together for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. And you might be in that valley and saying, why? How can this be? But I assure you that fulfillment will come. God Post tells the story of a woman who was walking out of a cathedral the Easter Monday, the Monday after Easter one year. And she'd walked out. She was a faithful attender for years and years. But you know how you can go through your routine every day and not really see what's around you? This day, she sees sitting there by the cathedral wall a woman who's there day after day, year after year. This woman uh, looks to be about 90 years old. She has spread out on the ground in front of her um, boutonnieres and corsages that she's made on a sheet of newspaper. And as this woman really sees the old 90-year-old woman, wrinkled, skin wizened by the sun, she notices this lady has this most beautiful, beatific uh, smile on her face. She radiates joy. Though this woman is crippled, and she surely has her aches and her pains, her troubles. And she says to her, ma'am, how is it that you can be so full of joy? Surely you have your tough times. And the lady, the old lady says, yes, that is true. I have troubles and trials just like everyone else. But I tell you this, I learned many years ago. That when I have those troubles and trials, I just need to pray and trust God. And three days later, it always seems better. Just like Jesus was on the cross. And three days later, it was better. And see, you see these examples over and over. And I tell you this. I bring you to the school of God's word and say, be encouraged. See these examples in scripture. Know they can happen in your life, in my life. The third principle we see here is we then show our level of hope by serving others. Now this seems paradoxical. We show our level of hope by others. Now I've never heard a sermon on Romans 15, 1 through 4. There are lots of other scriptures that jump out to you a lot more. And I think one reason is because this scripture is kind of upside down. You see verse 4 and you see these great things, encouragement, endurance, uh, hope. But you don't see what comes before. But I tell you this, it is a direct sign. I ask you to imagine a gauge of hope and trust in God from E to F. It is a sure sign that you're getting up toward F if you spend your life, if you're dedicated not to serving yourself but to serving others. Not to seeing what you can get but seeing what you can give to others to build up the kingdom, to bless others. Notice these words, how they fit together, verses 1 through 3. We who are strong, that is, we who are growing in hope, we who are growing in faith, we who are growing in trust, we who are strong, we who are close to Jesus, we who walk and talk with Jesus, and we're growing in our relationship to him. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. It's a very fine line between self-concern and selfishness. I will say to you, 
As long as our faith is weak, our trust not so strong, we'll worry about where our next meal is coming from, where our retirement is coming from, where our husband or our wife are coming from. We'll worry about those things. We'll be insecure. But as you grow stronger, you're not judging others, trying to make yourself feel better. You're not worried about what's happening because you know that your hope in God can be an anchor for whatever comes, right? We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up, not for ourselves, but to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. That is, I take that for you. I walk with you through whatever comes. How does it make sense? It doesn't. Jesus said to his disciples, as they squabble over who was greatest, as they squabbled over who was Jesus' favorite, he said to them these words we find in Luke chapter 22. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. That is, they are the rulers and they act like it. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you must should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? That's rhetorical. No, it's not the one being served. But I among you, I am among you as one who serves. Jesus said it in other places. He said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He said, if you want to be greatest of all, then you be the servant of all. Do you see how that comes out of that service, that lack of judgment? It comes out of a place of strong hope. It comes out of a place of strong trust. It comes out of a place of security as we walk with Jesus, knowing that he is going to make it all right. You see, what I'm talking about today is not a feeling, this hope. It is rooted in the foundation of our Savior, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Port Hope, Canada, there's a monument erected to a person, you might imagine, a, someone who'd been a mayor for many years or uh, someone who grew up in the town and went home to fame and fortune uh, throughout Canada. But no, this statue honors a man who was poor, a man who worked hard, unselfishly giving most of his life and energy to help those who could not repay him, who couldn't bring him financial compensation. Joseph Scriven was the man of the statue. Joseph Scriven was born in Dublin, Ireland in 1920. In his youth, he had the prospects of a great career in life. He was full of high ideals and, and great ambition, and, and he had a lot of gifts. He was engaged to a beautiful young woman, but tragically, on the eve of their wedding, his fiancée was pulled from a pond where she had accidentally fallen and had drowned. Although Joseph Scriven was a college graduate, had all of life before him, he couldn't overcome the shock. He wandered all the way to Canada, where he settled in the town of Port Hope. 
He spent the last 41 of his 60-plus years there. He became a very devout Christian. He, because he believed, because through this terrible trial, his trust and his hope became Jesus Christ, he spent his life helping widows, helping those who could not help themselves, doing things to make their life better and not being paid for them. It wasn't known that Mr. Scriven had any poetic uh, gifts until right before his death. A friend came to sit with him and he found this poem. Probably Joseph Scriven never meant for it to be seen by anybody. It seems he'd wrote it in a time of particular valley to his mother. This poem was later set to music. It's become a much-loved gospel song. Missionaries, as you poll them, for the first song that they teach to missionary converts, often this poem, which became a song, is what they teach. It's perennially at the top of the most favorite Christian hymns. What is that poem? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Listen. Joseph Scriven knew a hope, an anchor for the soul. Perhaps today you have a relationship in distress. You're discouraged by the struggles of dealing with your spouse or your children or your parents. I tell you this, you can have a hope, an anchor that holds. Maybe today you have a medical condition or you have chronic aches and pains and you're disheartened. I tell you this, you have a hope which is firm and secure. Maybe today you have financial difficulties. You're not sure how you're going to make ends meet. I tell you this, even though you may be depressed about those things, you can trust in Jesus. He is our hope, the living hope, an anchor that never fails. Father, as we think about these things today, I know that some of us came in struggling. I thank you that um, we can have a friend in Jesus. We can believe and trust even when you seem to be silent. We can hope. I pray today that you've encouraged us. You've raised our level of hope for what is, for what will come. Help us to grow close to you. I thank you for your word which tells us if we draw close to you, you'll draw close to us. Help us to do that just now. Help us to do that this week. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a